So those mentos are a catalyst. They're, they're catalysts to accelerate the fizzy and the you know, big explosion of the Diet Coke. And, and guys, um, there, are, there are catalytic reactions and catalysts all over the place. We use them constantly. Um, we've got catalysts in our cars, uh, post-it notes, laundry detergent. Pretty much everything we do in life has has catalysts in it. Enzymes in our body that help with digestion of food are catalysts, all right? A catalyst is a substance that increases the rate of a chemical reaction without actually being changed itself in the process. And there are bad catalysts, like, for example, throwing water on a grease fire. That's a bad catalyst because it makes the fire so much worse. And there are good catalysts, like Mentos in Diet Coke, why you ask, is that a good catalyst? Because it's fun, that's why, okay? So what I wanna talk about is how God is calling us and how we can be good catalysts or catalysts for good in our world, all right? And guys, we all see situations in our own personal lives uh, that, that could use some help for good, right? In marriages, in families, in, in groups that we're a part of, life groups or, or a group at work or, or, or community or nation they have an opportunity to be really, really good or really not good. I could go either way. We see scenarios this gets played out. And what God calls us to be in the book of Proverbs in chapter 11, we're gonna look at today, is situations where we can be catalysts for good. Now, the, the old saying is, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And what we'd like to do with these catalysts is actually solve problems, add the good before it actually becomes a problem, all right? So we prevent a problem before it happens. So you may have situations in your life right now where things are going well, um, but there's a potential for things to go sideways. There's a potential for problems. There's a potential for something not good to happen. Uh, and we live in a fallen world. And so we want to be forces for good, to be positive change agents in our world, to be light and salt as Jesus called us to be. And then sometimes we have to not just prevent things, we have to actually bring solutions. We have to bring a cure to difficult, problematic situations. Uh, when, when it's happening, as it's happening, or even after it's happened, after the disaster, after something bad has happened, we can come in as God's people and in our families, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and actually be catalysts for good. Maybe trouble's be brewing. Maybe things are going south. But God can use us to actually bring good about in our own lives and in the people that we live with and influence. So let's be catalysts for good. I've got, we're, we're at Proverbs chapter 11. We're going to look at a, a few principles here uh, and kind of scoot through this passage. These are the things uh, that popped out to me Please read Proverbs chapter 11 and see what pops out to you for your own practical life. But I hope these are super helpful to you today. All right, catalysts for good. Okay, first one, Proverbs, Solomon. He says, dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. You know, here's an interesting thing. that What they would use these scales for is to weigh goods or valuables, and they would put these rocks or stones on one side of the scale, and it weighed a certain amount. And that was the standard amount. And then they would weigh in until they had the right amount of product in the other scale. And then that would be the purchase price for this exact amount. Like the so pound here is gotta be a pound here, right? Here's what's interesting. Ancient archeologists have discovered on many occasions that shop makers would have two sets of uh, scales. One was for selling and the other was for buying. 
Yes, and they weighed differently. So you wanted to give yourself as the shopkeeper, the seller, an advantage. So you would, you would tip the scales in your favor when, uh, when you, when you, whenever you were doing this transaction. And that was extremely common in the ancient world. And what we learn here is God absolutely hates dishonest scales. They are detestable. Strong word there. He, he says that is so dishonest and wrong. But an accurate weight is his delight. It's like God's happy when people deal with each other with integrity. Now, you probably don't even use scales um, in your workplace or maybe in your home occasionally making food or something, but they're not common to us. But the principle is integrity. The principle is honesty in all our dealings with people. It's we're straightforward. We tell people the truth. We deal with them fairly. This applies obviously to the marketplace. We're not trying to pull one over on people. We're not trying to gain advantage through any kind of dishonesty. We are totally on the level, all right? Verse two, when arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Here he's saying in our relationships with others, this is all gonna come together. Um, when we get full of ourselves, when it's all about me, when it's what, it, what how does this affect me? It's all about me. We get full of ourselves, we get empty of Jesus. We get empty of the Spirit of God. And that's when disgrace follows. It's like something not good is gonna happen. You're, you're somehow going to have something that happens in your life that brings shame and dishonor into your life instead of the blessing of God. When arrogance comes, when you get all full of yourself. And then, but with humility comes wisdom. Uh, humility is not thinking more lowly of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less, right? It's a right understanding of who we are, made in the image and likeness of God, but yet we're fallen people. We've been redeemed by Jesus, but we're still struggling. We're still in process, right? And so we see ourselves and others in the right perspective as God sees us. And when we see ourselves that way, and when we humble ourselves and say, I'm willing to be a servant, it brings wisdom to each and every situation that we encounter, every single one. And it brings honor to us. You know, Jesus said, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The one who exalts himself will be humble. It's just this. This is exactly the point. So, uh, and then verse three is the integrity of the upright guides them. But the perversity or the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. The integrity of the upright guides them. In other words, when you have the concept that what is right and true and good and beautiful is what will be my true north. That's gonna be the compass, not what works, not what's in it for me, not how I can gain strategic advantage in this conversation, not how I can get my way, but actually what is right, true, beautiful, and good. When that is true north, it, it gives total direction to your life. It guides us. And he says, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. When, you, when, when you're crooked, when it's like I'm, I'm in it for myself, when selfishness comes about, when, um, when it's not, you're not being straight with people, when you're, when you're living some way that's, that's dishonest and lacks integrity, it destroys, it brings destruction. When treachery, being a traitor, becomes valued, when, when it's okay to turn on people, when it's okay to be disloyal to people, when it's okay to not live by the values that, that we 
nor to be true, when that becomes okay with us, just hang on because there's destruction coming. You know, this week I, I, I read a fascinating story from the 1960s, and it was a, a guy named Don Richardson. He was a missionary to a very remote uh, tribe in Papua New Guinea, and really were basically a Stone Age um, tribe when he came upon them with and his wife. And they wanted to bring Jesus and his love to them, and they did. And the interesting thing was when they were communicating, they spent a lot of time just living among them. Um, when they were communicating to them the, the, the good news of Jesus, they really had a hard time communicating the concepts because the concepts which are so familiar to us of truth and love and goodness that are so a part of not only Christianity, but how Christianity is spread to really all sorts of civilizations, those concepts were all foreign to them. In fact, here's how crazy it was. When Don Richardson told them the story of Judas acting like he was a disciple of Jesus and then kissing him and then, uh, and then betraying him to the leaders and accepting the uh, 30 pieces of silver, when they heard the story of Judas, they cheered for Judas. They said, he tricked Jesus. He was smarter. And they didn't hear the end of the story yet, but they actually cheered and they were clapping for Judas because treachery was the highest value. You were the one who was clever enough to get the advantage. And guys, that, that may not seem like it's real, that extreme in our culture, but, but a lot of people just value winning and, and gaining advantage over anything else. When that becomes embedded, it becomes a catalyst for evil and bad. Believers in Jesus are called to be catalysts for good. And so here's the first principle to give to you. And that is guard your integrity with humility. If you're gonna make a difference, if you're gonna see wholesomeness in your family, in your friendships, in your, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, you're gonna have to guard your integrity, be a person of your word, and then have humility. Not self-righteousness, like I'm so much better than everybody else, but like, no, I'm a fellow struggler. I got a long ways to go but I'm seeking to do what's right in every situation. That's what I'm talking about here. Um, let's talk about being a catalyst for good in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. Tony Evans said, if you want a better world composed of better nations, inhabited by better states, filled with better counties, made up of better cities, comprised of better neighborhoods, illuminated by better churches, populated by better families, then you'll have to start by becoming a better person. We all want the world to change, but really it starts with my heart and yours. Am I a person who lives with integrity and stays humble as Jesus modeled? He became obedient to death. He was a servant to all. He sacrificed himself for the sake of others, and he never once stepped outside the will of God. He was sinless. Now, obviously, we fall short, but that he is our uh, example to follow in this. Verse nine, go on to the next principle. With his mouth, the ungodly destroys his neighbor. We talked about that all last week when we talked about weighing your words. Um, our words can do a great deal of harm for the people around us when they hear hurtful things from us or untruths or gossip or rumor. He says, but through knowledge, the righteous are rescued. In other words, true knowledge of the word of God, of the truth of Jesus and, and, having, and having that fill our hearts and, and transform us from the inside out is incredible catalyst for good. It says the righteous are rescued. In other words, 
entire families, relationships between believers in Jesus, even communities and nations can be delivered, can have the protection of God, can be rescued from desperate situations if they come before God and say, you know, we're going to seek your word. We're going to seek your knowledge. We need renewal and awakening in our nation, but it starts in our own personal lives to say, I want the knowledge of God. Verse 10 says, when the righteous thrive, when people who follow Jesus and they're living that out well and they're actually thriving and that way of life is, is they're exhibiting it before other people. He says, a city rejoices. And by the, mean, by the way, this doesn't mean that the, the, the city needs to all become believers in Jesus. I mean, think about Daniel in Babylon. I mean, the, the, the king, the, the ruler of Babylon was a demon worshiper. I mean, he was totally off base. He was arrogant. But Daniel served in his court and he maintained his convictions, but he lived in such a way that people said, this guy knows what he's doing. And they listened to him. He kept getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And, um, and people were rejoicing because he had such a positive impact. He was thriving in Babylon. That's what we're saying here. When the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. Whole communities can be blessed when believers in Jesus really live out love and truth and goodness the goodness of Jesus. And when the wicked die, there is joyful shouting. Now you come to the end of a, a, a terrible, uh, in, in history, we have terrible regimes that finally fall and everybody, you know, cheers. Uh, there, there's a movie uh, uh, about this, uh, but maybe you know, it's called Wizard of Oz. You know, Dorothy's from Kansas. She gets caught in a tornado. Her house spins around and she lands, Dorothy. Her house lands on the wicked witch of the East, right? And, um, and, 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 the, and Glinda says, uh, let the joyous news be spread. The wicked witch is at last dead. And then they just celebrate. Remember? Oh yeah. Ding dong. The witch is dead. So we're rejoicing in this. And guys, um, this is a reality. Around the world, uh, there are many uh, uh, movements that take hold in cultures that bring great harm. And when those finally pass, um, there's joyful shouting. Uh, and it's not just rulers. It's, it's a people that can go astray. It's, uh, and, and this is just, a, he's stating a, a reality. When the wicked die, there's joyful shouting. It's like, finally, ding dong, the witch is dead. And... Verse 11 says, the city is built up by the blessing of the upright. Oh, by the way, before we go past verse 10, um, it, it also in this chapter says, don't gloat over your enemy's demise. So we can celebrate that that regime has come to an end, but we're also not to be um, uh, in your face or uh, uncharitable uh, in our dealings, even with our enemies. Okay, verse 11, a city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but it is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. Similar kind of concept here. And what it's saying is in our lives, there are forces for good and for evil at work. In your life, in your personal life, in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, in your workplace, forces at work for good and evil in this world. And these affect you and your relationships, your marriage, and your family. Um, years ago, I was uh, driving down I-235 and I noticed one day in West Des Moines that the uh, 28th Street bridge 
over 28th Street in West Des Moines, was gone. Uh, during the night, they had imploded it and, or exploded it or destroyed it, and it was just completely gone. And it's just a wide open space. And then I watched, as I went down I-235 almost every day, um, I watched as they slowly, 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 slowly began to reconstruct the 28th Street Bridge. It took months and months and months and months. And I learned an important lesson that it is so much easier to be a force of destruction than a catalyst for good. It just takes so much more time and effort. It's easy to destroy. It's easy to, to uh, in our speech, in our actions, to destroy and, and cause harm. It's much more challenging to, to build up. A city is built up by the blessing of the upright. What does that mean? I think it includes both of these concepts. The blessing of the upright, both is God's blessing on his people. Even if they're a minority population within a place, God's blessing upon his people, the church, brings blessing. A city is built up by that. They're actually blessed by having believers within them. And secondly, there's also a blessing that the upright themselves bring. Not just God's blessing on the upright, but the, the, the upright, people who are walking with God, they're not perfect, but they're walking with God, they actually bring blessing by their words and by their actions. They're doing good for the community. And here's the principle. Actively pursue goodness over evil. Evil is at work in our world, and we are called, and you are called, starting right where you are, wherever you live, to from that place for actively pursue, to push back, on evil by aggressively doing good works. Um, in uh, Paul's letter to Titus, he writes, Jesus gave his life to purify for himself a people, that's us, that are his very own, eager to do good works. The word there is zealous. It's like, I, I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to get active uh, in doing good works. I'm looking for opportunities to do good. There are opportunities all around us and we need to open our eyes and just become aware and then not hold back. When there's a way to show kindness, when there's a time to tell the truth, when there's a moment of, 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 of sacrifice that I could make, when there's an encouragement I could give out, when there's a, a, a helping somebody with a problem or, or helping somebody at work, whenever I can, when I aggressively uh, enter into that, eager to do what's good, it has a catalytic effect. It actually, the city is built up by when you bless others and it's torn down by the mouth of the wicked. Uh, Valley Church uh, has had a, uh, a theme and an initiative that's been going on for many years. It's called Love You Des Moines. And uh, I remember somebody telling me uh, they were wearing a Love You Des Moines shirt in, in, uh, at the mall and somebody came up to uh, them and said, hey, I see your shirt has a, a, a misprint. You don't, you don't mean love you, Des Moines. You mean hate you, Des Moines. And they were taken aback. He said, I hate, this person said, I hate Des Moines. And they're like, well, I, I love Des Moines. What does it actually mean to love Des Moines? I guess there are two ways to look at that. And one is, I, I like our community. I, I love the things that it has. I love the, the way that it is. And that's good. That's great. I, I love Des Moines that way. But there's a second way that I think is more powerful for us. And that is I choose to love our community. I choose to be an instrument and a force for good in our community by living with integrity and humility and being aggressive in doing 
good works. You can do that as, as neighbors. Just look for opportunities. I don't know how to get this across more powerfully, but just be, be very active in choosing to do good works wherever you can. Because Jesus, not because you're trying to earn your way to heaven, but because Jesus has so filled your heart with love that you want to do this. You know, um, Valley Church, God has placed us uh, in the center of our community in so many ways. And we have sought for, for our entire existence to, to be a force for good in this community by bringing the good news of Jesus. But we also, we say we do good works to build goodwill, uh, to, to, to befriend people, to love people, even our enemies. And then eventually this opens up when that goodwill is bought, when they see that we're the real deal, this opens up opportunities for to share. Why do we do that? It's because of Jesus, his love for us on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And we can bring the good news. We do good works to build goodwill, to become good neighbors and only to share the good news of Jesus. You know, um, it was 10 years ago that Valley Community Center was under construction. I actually snapped this photo, I think myself, and uh, it, it's, this is our 10th year. So this summer, we're gonna be selling our 10 year anniversary of the Valley Community Center. Guys, I wanna tell you something about Valley Community Center. Uh, if you add up everybody who's walked through those doors, it's over 1 million people have walked through those doors over the last decade considerably more than that. Um, and and we, we have pursued loving our neighbors in all sorts of areas of service, just volunteerism as a way of life and relationships, helping people thrive in their relationships and getting to know one another and, 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 and encouraging friendships and, 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 uh, and uh, people connecting with one another um, by pursuing compassion, uh, serving the unserved and underserved and by uh, providing opportunities for wellness uh, wholeness in body, mind, and in spirit. And there's so many different ways this happened. You've been a big part of that. Um, your generosity has been a huge part of that. I mean, Valley Church people, you know, 10 plus years ago, gave millions of dollars for the construction of that. And it has opened up the gospel of Jesus Christ for so many people. So many people, their first touch point into Valley Church was through the Valley Community Center. And we continue to build bridges. And I just want to pause and celebrate that. We'll have a big celebration later on, but this is, this is what it means when it says a city is built up by the blessing of the upright. When the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. And that's what we're about. And, and I just want to encourage you, if, if you've been cheering that on and saying, I love that our church does that, but you personally haven't stepped into that, can I encourage you to get more actively involved in your own neighborhood? Throw a block party, befriend a neighbor, uh, uh, look for, out for somebody who's lonely at work, whatever it might be, but aggressively begin to be involved. And maybe it's an opportunity not to volunteer somewhere uh, in upcoming uh, uh, activities and events at the Valley Community Center or through our many community bridges throughout the metro, all right? So uh, just, just encouraging in that. That's another way to be a catalyst for good. Okay, verse 14, without guidance, the people will fall. But with many counselors, there is deliverance. Um, one way to be a catalyst for good is to seek out wise perspectives. Seek out wise perspectives. Sometimes, um, true confession, I make dumb decisions and it doesn't bless my family. It doesn't bless this person in my neighborhood. Um, it actually is a catalyst not for good. And the best way to avoid those, here we see one way, is um, get counsel. Uh, seek out many counselors. He says, without guidance, a people will fall. So if we're not seeking God, if we're not seeking his wisdom, 
and we're seeking it from godly people we respect, eventually, not just a person, but a people will fall. If people ignore and push back and say, I don't want to hear about uh, Jesus, I don't want to hear about God, who God is, I don't hear what, if a, if a member of the family says that, you know, it, it's, it's not a promising situation. But you can turn it around by actually opening your ears and saying, I'm going to listen to what other people say, because guess what? I'm not always right. I'm wrong a lot of the time. And I need to hear other people speak into my life. This has been, and you know this, this is an incredible blessing in your life. When godly, wise people speak into it, we need truth. We need God's guidance in our personal lives, our friendships, our marriages, our families, our communities. Um, you know, there's a, 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 a king in the Old Testament. He followed Solomon, uh, who wrote this, this uh, proverb, and he did not listen to Solomon's advice, his father's advice. Um, his name is Rehoboam. And I just want to read to you, uh, if you want to read this on your own sometime, um, it's in 1 Kings 12. And Rehoboam is a brand new ruler. His father Solomon has ruled for decades, and now he's taking over. And he's kind of a young guy, but he's trying to learn, how, how, should, I, how should I rule? How should I govern? It says, then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem, to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard about it, he stayed in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. So there's a, some palace intrigue there. Um, but they summoned him and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke harsh. So they said, sometimes he could be hard on us. You therefore lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam replied, go away for three days and then return to me. So the people left. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive, asking, how do you advise me to respond to the people? They replied, today, if you will be a servant to this people and serve them, be humble, be a servant. And if you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. They'll be loyal to you. They'll, they'll love you. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders who had advised him and consulted with the young man who had grown up with him and attended him. He basically said, I don't want to hear that because that's not what I want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. And sure enough, he asked them, what message do you advise that we send back to this people who said to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us. And the young man who had grown up with him told him, this is what you should say to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. This is what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. He said, although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So, I mean, Solomon, the people were taxed and they, they wanted a little bit of relief. They were, they were burdened. They wanted a little bit of relief. Solomon, in his later years, we find out he, he, he strays from the Lord and it wasn't good for the people. And Rehoboam just doubles down on it. And he says, I don't want to hear that. I don't hear that advice and wisdom. I'll just hear what I want to hear. Looking for confirmation. It's called confirmation bias. I already made up my mind what I'm going to do. Now just tell me you agree with what I want to do. Guys, that is not the way to be a catalyst for good. The way to be a catalyst for good is to truly, honestly, seek out God's word, seek his counsel, pray, and then seek multiple perspectives from people that you really expect and admire. Not just your closest people, but some people that you really respect and admire and, and, and seek out people that might not tell you um, exactly what you want to hear and are willing to say, well, there's a different perspective. 
And then you have to be willing to listen to that. If, if you could do that, you would bring such blessing to your friendships, to your relationships, to your family, instead of just being kind of centered in on, this is what I want to do, this is what I'm going to do. All right? Seek out wise perspectives. Verse 16. A gracious woman gains honor, but a violent people gain only riches. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel person brings ruin on himself. Here, this simple proverb contrasts a grace of a woman, the kindness of a man, who actually gain for themselves through grace and kindness. And there's other people that make gains, but it's just money. It's, they actually eventually bring ruin on themselves because after a while they, they don't have any friends because they've just selfishly pursued their own stuff and their own um, wealth. And so I, I just want to say, you know, I, I really believe, and Scripture is, is clear here, kindness and grace are so powerful, but they're in such short supply. There's so much animosity that goes around um, we talked about social media, but it's more than that. Just animosity for people, um, uh, people that are super aggressive and they just are out for themselves and they just want their own way and they want their own wealth. And then cruel per people who just will run over anybody in their path. Eventually God says, you know what, what? What goes around comes around. And eventually you pay for that when you have that kind of um, selfishness. So the principle here is to be callous for good, you gotta choose kindness over selfishness. And guys, that's pushing back on human nature. That's pushing back and saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to just go the way of the world. I, I'm actually going to choose to be kind. It's crazy that, you know, they've made these several movies now about Mr. Rogers. I mean, what was, what do you really have, you know, what, what was Mr. Rogers' secret? It was kindness. And he's beloved. And he blessed and encouraged a whole lot of people. Now, there's other ways to relate to people other than just Mr. Rogers. And I'm not saying we all have to be just like him. But you know what? Kindness to the people in your, in your world. Grace to them. Because you've fallen short and so have I. We need grace and we give grace. Because God has loved us first. You know, it, it's true in Scripture that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It isn't the, the harshness of God. The Apostle Paul says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. When we see his love and mercy in Jesus Christ for us, that's what actually turns our hearts. That's what actually changes people's minds. That's what's actually the catalyst for good is the kindness of God. That's what led us when we saw his mercy and kindness. Paul writes to Titus uh, for us to, to uh, he says in chapter 3, among other things, he says, be ready for every good work. Don't slander anyone. Avoid fighting with people. Be kind. Always show gentleness to all people. That's what we're saying here. He says, why? For we too once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another, just going after each other, clashing the world we live in. But, verse 4, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, we didn't earn anything, but according to his mercy, kindness, love, mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, this transformative uh, kindness that God brought into our lives through the gospel. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly. He just he gave us so much 
through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified, that's declared not guilty in the sight, you're, you're, you're not guilty anymore. By grace, we become heirs with the hope of eternal life. We've got so much to look forward to. This saying is trustworthy, he said, and I want you to insist on these things. What are we insisting on? To be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind, to always show gentleness to all people. That's what he's insisting on. So that those who believe God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. That's what we've been saying. Get aggressive and devote. Say, I'm going to be devoted to doing good things, right things, honest things, sacrificial things. These are good and profitable for everyone, he says. Everybody. It's catalytic for good for everybody. Not just believers, but people that are our enemies, people in our community, people in your workplace. It's good for everyone. And then he says, avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, disputes. These are unprofitable and worthless. So it doesn't mean you can't speak truth, and you do. And it doesn't mean you can't confront evil. You can, and you should. But it does mean that the spirit in which and the tone in which we do things can make a huge difference in people's lives. It's a catalyst for good. Okay, last one, verse 24 and 25. Uh, 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 one person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what's right, only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. There's this crazy secret in the scriptures. The best way, the best way to become prosperous, the best way for your life to be fulfilling and satisfying and enriching, the best way is to be generous to give your life away for other people. It seems totally paradoxical because if I give my life away, I won't have my life. No, Jesus said, give your life away, you'll save it. Save your life, protect yourself, and you'll lose it. You're, you're, you're not going to live the life that God has for you. And Jesus modeled this, of course, completely. It says, though he was rich he, for your sakes, he was rich because he lived in heaven with God, his father for all eternity, yet for your sakes he became poor. He took the nature of a servant. He died on a cross for our sins. He became poor for us so that you, through his poverty, his, his, his giving up everything for our sake, he says, so that you might become rich, so that we receive all these blessings. It's the way of Jesus to give our lives away for the sake of other people, for the advancement of his kingdom, to sacrifice ourselves generously and joyfully, cheerfully, not begrudgingly, but just like, hey, I want to give my life away. If you want to be a catalyst for good, here it is, and this might be the most powerful thing I could say to you today is overflow with generosity constantly. Generosity, that's the secret, that's the ticket. And it's so paradoxical because we think if I give myself away, I'll have less. No, if you give yourself away, you'll have more. And when I say generosity, I, I mean in every sphere of life, in your whole life. So that means generosity in attitude. You're giving people the benefit of the doubt. You're cutting them slack. You're not holding grudges. You're forgiving really freely and, and openly. And, um, and you're looking for ways to bless people, to encourage people, to make a difference in a positive way. You're generous in attitude, in forgiveness, in serving. You volunteer. You say, put me in. I'll, I'll do something. I'll make a difference. You look for opportunities both formally in kind of, you know, it could be in, 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 the, in the ministry of, of, of Valley Church or informally, just on your own at work or in the neighborhood. Just look for ways to generously give your, uh, 
yourself away in service. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we get to situations and we just want to avoid them. It's like, ah, oh, this is going to be out. And then when you actually put yourself into it and you give yourself away for the sake of another person so many times, it says his, it returns to us. The person who gives freely gains more. A generous person is enriched. The one who gives a drink of water, God has a way of making sure he returns that to you. I'm not saying he's going to make you filthy rich. I'm not saying that you're going to just, just never have any problems or issues. I'm saying that your life is going to be richer, fuller, and more satisfying if you learn to be callous for good by generosity. And of course, our resources to give freely. First to God, to the ministry of, of, of the advancement of the kingdom, and then in, in other ways to bless people and encourage people to make that a priority. We talk about first fruits. We talk about putting God first and, and setting aside that first fruits to him. And then looking for opportunities where I can be even more generous uh, with my resources. The happiest people, some of the happiest people I know are also the most financially generous people I know. They just give their lives away. And some people say, well, I don't have that much. Well, just, that's okay. God isn't, isn't the amount of uh, the, the bottom line amount. It's the amount of generosity and sacrifice that's involved that God sees. And he just blesses our lives because of it. And, and somehow God is able to replenish and, and uh, fill up our tanks and fill up the resources we need. He says this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, so that you in all situations will be able to be generous. I just, if you can be that channel of generosity to other people, God just trusts you with more because he knows that you're not just going to hoard it for yourself. You're going to give it away for the sake of others. So maybe God's moving you in some way to be generous in attitude, in serving, in volunteering, in forgiveness to somebody. They don't deserve it to be forgiven. But then neither did I and neither did you. And maybe God's pulling at you to say, be generous in your resources. I'm going to just wrap it up here today by just reminding you actually the four core values of Valley Church. Um, these are not just slogans that we have as a church. We have our, our statement of faith, which outlines all the theological truths that we affirm and believe and hold dear to us. You know, the Trinity, um, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious, victoriously from the grave. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He's coming again. And all those things that are so central to the Christian faith. But four core values that make Valley Church the flavor that it is, the, the culture, the DNA that it is. I want to give them to you very quickly. The first value is we major on the majors. We're generous with each other. We don't, we don't nitpick on secondary issues, but what the church has believed and taught for 2,000 years, we hold firmly to without apology. We major on the majors of the Christian faith. Second principle is we help relationships thrive. We encourage people to get in life groups. We encourage people to build friendships. We help and have all sorts of ministries and opportunities for, uh, for marriages to thrive, for families to thrive, for friendships to thrive, and to seek out counseling when there's hurt or, or pain or, or difficulty. So we help relationships thrive. Third principle is we love our community. Uh, we absolutely love our community. Um, we believe that God wants us to, as Jeremiah said, to seek the peace and prosperity of our city. And we do that with seriousness and aggressively uh, and with uh, hope and joy in our hearts to really love our community deeply. And our fourth uh, core value is we pursue boundless generosity in attitude, in spirit, in resources, in every way we look for opportunities to simply give our lives away because that's what Jesus did. Um, Jesus gave his life for us. He went to a cross 
Uh, he laid down his life so that we could be forgiven of our sins forever. We didn't pay anything for that. He paid it all. And then he rose from the, the dead to give us life eternal. And then he put his Holy Spirit within us to mobilize us, to empower us, and to motivate us to be catalysts for good. In every way, Jesus lives out the principles we talked about. To guard your integrity with humility. Jesus did that and he humbled himself and became obedient to death. To actively pursue goodness over evil. Jesus always pursued compassion and truth and mercy and he opposed that which was evil. He sought out wise perspectives. The scripture says when he was young, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with others. So he was humble and he actually learned as a human being, although he was God, in his humanity, he learned and grew in wise perspectives. And by the time he was 12 years old, he was teaching others. He chose kindness over selfishness. He could have said, I'm not going to the cross. It's not worth it. These people aren't worth it. But instead, he willingly, freely gave up his life for us. And God exalted him to the highest place. And then he overflowed with generosity constantly. We see Jesus constantly reaching out to the hurting, to the shamed, to the outcasts, the people that no one else would befriend. He reached out to them with generosity and he reached out to you. Um, can we ask Jesus to be the catalyst for good in our lives first? And then can we ask Jesus to make us catalysts for good in everyone else's life around us? Father in heaven, thank you for this incredible chapter 11 of Proverbs. Thank you that you have you through your Holy Spirit poured these words into your book. And I pray, Lord, today that there would just be one of these principles that someone would take home and say, that was what I needed to hear to be a catalyst for good um, in my life this week and in the months to come. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen. All right, guys, have a great week. Go be a catalyst for good. Don't wait, do it now.